Hello, and welcome to the Cannabis Corner. I am your host, Joshua Braff, and I'm here with my partner, farmer Adam Teitelbaum. Today we have Sarah Pion, who is an award-winning cannabis educator specializing in cancer-related therapies. She is the Director of Education at the Apothecarium in San Francisco, Vice Chair of the San Francisco Cannabis State Legislation Task Force, a writer and industry consultant, and a patient advocate and stage 3 colon cancer survivor. I'm so grateful to have you today, Sarah. The first thing I would like to ask you about is your story. Tell us how you came to cannabis as medicine, and I'm curious to see if it was something you were doing before you found that you were ill. I had had cannabis before. I experimented especially like in high school and college and occasionally medicated as an adult. I hadn't done a lot with it like in my 30s. I started getting sick when I was 37. Every time I would eat I would just start getting these really this really bad cramping that would go into cyclical vomiting. And my doctor, I went to see a gastroenterologist, and they told me, you have IBS. Um, and colon cancer runs in my family. My great-grandmother actually died of it. I think it was in 72. And um, so he gave me a smooth muscle relaxant to take home with me, and it worked for a little bit. But it got to the point where I was just dreading eating and a friend of mine who did have a medical card was like, you should really try medical cannabis to help you with this. And I was kind of skeptical because I mean, I knew that my mom is a cancer professional. She's retired now, but she was an oncology hematology nurse and then a cancer researcher. Um, she actually did the clinical trials of the chemo regimen that I did. Um, so I knew that it was good for stuff like that, but I was really leery about how is it going to help me eat like with everything that's going on. And actually it did. It like relaxed my muscles. So I was actually able to eat food and not get sick and not dread it until my colon actually closed up. I went in for a second opinion and um, they did a colonoscopy and they couldn't even get the scope past the tumor. It was the size of a lemon. Uh, so when I went through my resectioning of my colon and then I knew that I was stage three, I decided to get my card because I knew I was going to go through chemo, and I knew that it would help with nausea and it would help with pain. I wish I knew a lot more about cannabis than that I do now because there are some things that I would do really differently. But I did get my card going through chemo and everything. What year was that? That was in 2011. 2011. So yeah. um, did you have a sense that what you were taking on was illegal? I didn't care. I mean, at the point when I got my card, I was a little bit nervous about losing my job because I was an operations manager downtown for a nonprofit, um, and I really wanted to keep my job. And you were being drug tested? I wasn't being drug tested, but I just didn't know, like, would somebody find out that I had a card? I mean, would they, would they have an issue with it? But then I was just like, I have cancer. What are they going to do? Right. You know? So you had yourself justifying some of what might occur from even colleagues. Right. Yeah. And the fact that a lot of the the drugs that I was going to be given during my treatment, like things like um, like the opiates and also antiemetics, had side effects that could be potentially deadly for me because when you have colon cancer, you can't have constipation. And those are highly constipating drugs. And the antiemetics are incredibly expensive. I had great insurance and was able to afford it. But like a lot of my fellow patients, they needed those and they couldn't afford it, you know, and that was kind of crazy. So why did we not have something that was less expensive that would help people with their nausea? Hey, Sarah, uh, this is Adam Teitelbaum here. I was wondering if there were certain strains that you would use to treat your condition or 
edibles or smoking or vaping or pills or um, how, how would you use cannabis to treat your cancer? I used it not so much to treat my cancer, but to help alleviate symptoms. I didn't realize the effects that cannabis can have with apoptosis in the body at the time. So I would I would smoke. I tried vaping. I actually did like spend the money and get a really good tabletop vaporizer. But I found that for me, the effects of just having a couple puffs really helped. So I would do um, like Blue Dream or Dark Star. Those were two of my favorites. Dream Queen, something that was kind of a little bit more in the hybrid range. So it took down anxiety. It gave me the munchies. It helped with pain. And one thing that was really big, especially I was surprised at how incredibly addictive opiates are. You, you always hear that. And I have a really non-addictive personality. Like when I was 20 and they said, you have asthma, stop smoking cigarettes. I was like, okay. And I just stopped. But after a week and a half of taking Norco after my resection and when I went to take myself off, I was real I was getting restless legs and having problems sleeping. And that was really startling. That was like a real eye opener. So cannabis actually helped me make the transition out of opiates as well. So that's a very big deal for uh, our conversation in that. There is an opioid epidemic happening in America. Perhaps it's more severe as of late. If you look at the news and things that are, we've mentioned Ohio, I'm sure there are other states that are in jeopardy. You find yourself having been prescribed a medicine that was giving you restless leg syndrome and anxiety. And you had cannabis recommended by your mom, it appears, and you were finding all kinds of relief in an illegal time. So were you aware of these two trains running parallel to each other? Because here in 2017, there's the notion that cannabis would be causing the opiate problem in America, since it's hard to know where, you know, this this notion of gateway drug. Why don't you weigh in on it? What is your thought about cannabis in the opioid world? My mom was doing cancer research in Baylor in Dallas while I was going through chemo. And so I would start chemo on a Wednesday in the chair. I would go home with my fanny pack of chemo and my nurse would come and hook me on a Friday. And then I would go fly to Dallas to spend time with my mom. And I didn't bring my medicine with me because I wasn't going to bring cannabis on the plane. So I had my doctor write me a prescription for Marinol, which was the shittiest thing I ever went through because it made me crabby. It made me groggy. I actually felt more nausea because of it. And I missed out on a whole weekend with my mom because I was in bed just being cranky. It did not help. Why, why do you think the Marinol had those types of negative side effects on you? I don't think that synthetic Delta 9 THC is as effective as they'd like to think it is. It really, I've talked to a lot of patients who've had adverse reactions to it, and really it just makes you groggy because when you're looking at herbs where pharmaceuticals come from, you're looking at this full spectrum plant medicine. And then you've got scientists saying, oh, well, these are inactive ingredients and we're not going to add these. But it's really foolish of people to think that they fully understand the chemical makeup of a, of a medicine. They're missing out on a lot of things that they're deeming inactive. Like full cannabis medicine, I found, has been the most effective with patients. I mean, it's just like Valium is derived from valerian, but you don't hear of anybody having a valerian problem. True. And why is that? 
Valerian's not addictive. Maybe the whole thing that this root smells like stinky, dirty socks might <laughs> her too. But I mean, you know, I think that when science comes into play and they start isolating things, you're not looking at the big picture. And I think that there are side effects. I think there are certain things that are included with herbs that we don't know how these things come to be, but they're almost fail-safes in a way so that it's not addictive. Are you finding that uh, you see people getting relief in the same way you are? And then at the same time, seeing people in different zip codes who are unable to even get close to the option? Yeah, I get calls from all over the United States and even outside the United States asking questions about cannabis and how they can have access. And especially with cancer patients or families of cancer patients, like there's a lot of tears over the phone about the frustration. Because even if there's medical cannabis available, a lot of times it's not what they need because different states are making decisions on what's available basically based on hearsay or the whole thing of, oh my God, edibles are bad. Or in another state, it's, oh my God, smokables are bad. And when I've been traveling to different states and talking to um, different representatives of states, I've been really impressing the fact that we need to have a wide spectrum of cannabis medicine available. And that when people are talking about certain forms of it being unsafe, it's it's a fallacy. It's really about lack of education. The things that aren't safe with cannabis are molds, mildews, funguses, the chemicals that are used. I mean, when you're especially when you're dealing with patients with compromised immune systems, the one thing that we do need to get straight is that the testing has to be consistent, and we need that's what you need for safe medicine, and also the education around how much a person needs to take. And there's no clear cut. There are no cliff notes to cannabis, I always say. You know, we're walking chemistry experiments, and I can tell you eight out of ten patients how they'll respond and will do something completely fascinating and different. So we're looking at slow and low, taking this time as, you know, as patients and as educators to really, like, see how it's working in the body. I always tell patients, I give them a notebook, and I'm like, go home. Before you take your medicine, do a body scan. See how you feel. Then take it. And write down how much you took, when you took it, what's working, what's not, how do you feel, and come back to me and tell me this, because then we have a better understanding about how you, as a person, metabolize cannabis. And this doesn't just go with cannabis, but this is just whatever we put in our bodies. It really gives us a chance to have that reflection and get to know, like how we work with certain substances. Because in this world, it's like we're always busy. We're running around. We're not paying attention to what's going on inside ourselves, which I think is a big problem and is a big root of a lot of the disease that we have. Very, very true. And that taps into all sorts of health issues and the way we eat and the way we're taught to eat. This reflexive reaction to someone saying cannabis and on the other side someone saying, well, no, that can't be used, is shocking in a world where all kinds of new holistic diets are popping up. And here we find ourselves trying to pull cannabis as medicine out of the doghouse in an effort to give it to people who can't even have a shot at remedying these side effects that are coming from so many different chemicals. Uh, we are in a time where we're flooded with the marketing of those medicines. And meanwhile, cannabis is running parallel and in a way saying, I've been here thousands of years. I am relatively banal. I will help you. And here you are, proof positive of that. Adam, do you have a question? I do. So knowing what you know now, and I mean, I guess it would be maybe difficult to say this since you beat down cancer. Is, is that correct? 
that I'm even saying that? Yeah, I'm in remission. This uh, this August, it'll be six years since I've, I'm out of treatment. Congratulations. Thank that you. That is so exciting. That's incredible. That's Congratulations on that. Well, well, being that you, you've done that, you'd say, then really with Western medicine, is that correct? I definitely used allopathic medicine. I think that, though, getting the cannabinoids in my system in any way was immensely helpful. I'm sure that it had therapeutic effects, even though we never tracked that. But as far as, like, my quality of life and just like my mindset, it, that really made a huge difference. And just like even after treatment was done, managing my pain and my neuropathy, especially by using like high CBD ratios, was immensely valuable. I wish I would have done some things differently because I have permanent damage to my hands and feet from chemo. And when I went to my first Patients Out of Time conference in Portland several years ago, I had heard a researcher talk about how preloading with CBD before, during, and after chemo is acting as a neuroprotectant and helping people with neuropathy either not get it as bad and sometimes not get it at all. And I brought that back with me to San Francisco, and we started doing some investigating around that, and I made the suggestions to patients to try to do it as a preventative measure, and it's been really successful. I wish I would have done that, but we didn't know a lot about CBD back then. And, you know, we're where I'm at is a very different model because my first experience going into dispensary, everyone was really nice, but they also didn't have a lot of information. And quite honestly, being that I had cancer, I think they were a little afraid of me. I mean, because when you're critically ill, it's like people are, they treat you with kid gloves. And that's something that I do really differently working with my patients, holding space and making people feel safe to ask the questions because they have so many other things that they're juggling. Picking out their medicine shouldn't be stressful. So you have found that the dispensaries at the time that you were going in were a little bit unprepared for the severity of your illness. Do you think that's true now, too? I think there are still a lot of places where that is true. And there are a lot of dispensaries that have been stepping up their game, especially because we're having a whole new group of professionals in the industry that are really passionate about that portion of it. And I think we're seeing more of that because of the normalization of the industry. So more people are feeling curious about getting in and working and really wanting to learn more. Right. They're saying, if you're going to lift the stigma, then uh, I'm in. Yeah. It was only the stigma that was keeping me out. Yeah. You know, what's um, interesting is the dispensary where I, I currently work. I don't work in the dispensary. I run the grow. Um, one of the things that attracted me to this place here in Fort Collins, Kind Care of Colorado, was how they did embrace from since they were open in 2009, cancer patients and their experience and having people researching constantly, bringing in the right strains, working with them with dosaging or the proper method of ingestion, whether it be oil or a capsule or flour, whether it's vaped or smoked or, you know, what have you, or a butter. And that attracted me to this place to work with and because there was that kind of level of care for people, especially who had cancer or who were very sick. And we have that type of reputation. And as a matter of fact, I'm really proud that we have just turned our grow into a completely medical grow so that um, our grow is just serving our medical patients now. And we're just, we're wholesaling and bringing in top quality stuff from around the state on our rec side. But I love that I'm growing for our patients. Yeah. You seem to have seen the sensitivity that was coming uh, as far as patients of various illnesses and uh, leave it to Colorado. Well, I think for me, my legal start 
with cannabis started, you know, as being a caregiver. And that was so attractive to me, working directly with people and with the plants and trying to find the right synergy for each patient. And so kind of getting back to those roots and serving those people and their medical needs to me, I don't know, I guess it speaks to more of who I am and my roots and trying to heal with cannabis, I guess. Right. And as this evolves, you could specifically be working with just the ill, as it were, and maybe not on the rec side, as far as cannabis is concerned. Sarah, you agree research is limited. Research is really limited. Cancer research alone. It is. I mean, there we're lucky in the Bay Area because we have like several groups that are that are putting together protocols for different kinds of cancers and they're conducting the research and they're memorializing it, but it's not it's it's not it's not going through like a large you know health institution things like that because right now the research that's getting funded is mostly under the guise of the harms of cannabis it's not talking about you know the cancer killing properties or the antispasmodic properties you're getting a little bit of that but more than anything they, you're still getting funding for the harms yeah but but it's funny that we see that out of a lot of those studies that are being funded for the harm come the findings of, oh, there's no harm. <laughs> I love that. Right, the glaucoma test. There was like, I, I know what we'll do. They seem to get red eyes. We'll go after the red eyes. And then they got in there and they're like, this cures glaucoma. <laughs> and it was like brown, untested dope. <laughs> you cannot hold the properties of this plant down regardless of its beauty. Uh, we'll have more with Sarah Pion in the future episodes of The Cannabis Corner. Kraft Concentrate. Kraft was founded with the goal of producing the highest quality concentrate in the industry. We believe that what we do is an art form, and that is why we treat every product like its own masterpiece. Our own skilled botanists and growers cultivate healthy plants for the foundation of our incredible extracts. Our industry-leading experts have developed and perfected our own unique extraction process. At Kraft Concentrates, we are obsessed with quality and will continue to innovate and refine our methods to provide the best concentrates on the market. Craft concentrates. And now more with our interview with Stephanie Landa. With over 50 years of experience in the cannabis industry and the war on drugs, Stephanie Landa is working to help inmates incarcerated for nonviolent cannabis-related crimes by raising money through her charity, Freedom Grow. Stephanie, for Freedom Grow, what's going on in the future? Um, it sounds like you're doing wonderful work and your empathy is very encouraging. We do all the festivals and we sell like hot chocolates, slushies, and all the money goes to the prisoners. 100% of the money, by the way. We don't take out our expenses or anything. Are you mailing the, the checks directly to the prisoner? Postal money orders only, and it has to go to the feds and then they give it to the prisoner. Oh. You know, it's like a lockbox in Iowa. How, how so, do you decide who to send money to? I have a list, and then I start at the top, and I give everyone $50 until I run out of money, and then I start over. And then where, does the list come, where does this list come from? Who compiles it? Everyone. If I had more people, I would send it to more people. I tell everyone, call me. This is my cell, 818 Six five two seven eight nine one. If anybody's in trouble, call me. I can help you. Plus, I can put you on the list. I never have enough money to send it to everyone. 
you know, there's always more people and more and more. And when you're doing life without parole, you've run out of money. These are people that are in jail for 20 years already. It's no joke. The people you're helping, are they all cannabis-related crimes? Are they different crimes? Are they just nonviolent? Are they violent? Only nonviolent cannabis crimes. Only. Wow. Like, I investigate every single case. You're in jail for life for cannabis. Without parole. Like, there's 75 of them that I take care of. There's a site called lifeforpot.com. I got a lot of them off of Beth's site. A lot of girlfriends I have have similar things that they're doing because we all have heart. And since they started working with me, they've branched off for the clemency. They've branched off at Christmas time. They send all the people that I send money to, they send money to their kids, parents for pot. There's a lot of people in jail and they're all like us. So many families affected. It'd be interesting if these Fed guys had a sense of what they were creating by pulling someone's parent away from the family and locking them up and then high-fiving over the arrest. I mean, what is the goal here? That's a logical thing you can never figure out. Like, it has to be pot prejudiced. That's it. There's no other reasonable thing to think. It's just, it's unreasonable. It shouldn't make a difference. But I was the only Jewish person in the whole prison. I'm like, I'm Jewish and I love pot. And what am I doing here? Oy <laughs> I know. Well I put, Adam. Really. Stephanie, what will you say to your son when he gets out? Oh, have a great big fat dad. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say to him. When I pick him up, I'm taking a piece with me and really good hardcore shatter. Well, I'm excited for both of you. That's what I'm going to say to him. <laughs> Do it in a safe place and watch the sunset and, and understand that no real crime has been broken. Neither one of us want out of the industry because we went to jail. And you know what? All the people that are in, nobody wants to quit. Nobody wants to stop smoking pot. I mean, it's not like we did something that we want to, like, whatever you call penance or whatever you do when you do something bad. We don't want to do that. We just want to have our lives back again. It, it is infuriating when you think about how many Americans are incarcerated for a cannabis-related crime, whether it's using or cultivating or selling, and yet we've got this thriving cannabis market that I'm part of. I'm, I run a grow for a, for a dispensary. Um, and to think that people are doing time, hard time, for what I do every day is insanity. And it's not like it's a camp. If you have life, excuse me, I'm like cheering up. But if you have life, you're going to maximum security. Like you're in with hardened criminals because they can't put you in a low thing because you have so much time. So if you're doing like life or even 10 years, even 10 years, you are in a hardened maximum security. I don't know if everybody knows what that is, but it is so intense for people that have never even had a parking ticket. I mean, these are people that, like, follow the law, and they're in jail for pot, and they're in these horrible places. I was in not maximum security, but 
you know, for women, we're all in the same place. Like, there's murderers in there. There's all kinds of people in there that are not pot addicts, that's for sure, are not addicted to the lifestyle of pot. It isn't like, because as I told you, I didn't go through any withdrawals or anything when I stopped smoking pot. And I am a morning smoker. I get up and smoke and have since 1959. I'm 71 and I'm still smoking pot at the same rate as I ever was. But we're good people. I, I have an unrelated question to the subject matter we've been discussing just because uh, you've been using cannabis for so long. What do you... what? differences do you see? You know, you always hear in the news and people who are against pot saying, oh, the, you know, it's so much stronger than it was, than it is today, than it was then, and it's so dangerous. What's, how do you, you've lived it and smoked pot in 1959 and in 2017. So it, what's the difference? The only dangerous part of it is the pesticides. There is no other dangerous part. I don't even know anyone else that's had a weird trip on marijuana. Like, you smoke it, if you should eat a chocolate bar, you're going to come right down anyway. Like, any kind of sugar, you're not even high anymore. So, I don't really understand. It's another pot prejudiced. People are prejudiced against pot. They used to be prejudiced against alcohol. Now they're prejudiced against pharmaceuticals. We're always going to find something to be prejudiced against. Like, that's what people do. They hate. But, and... but don't you see that maybe the tide is really beginning to turn, especially as more and more states legalize medically and recreationally as well? Do you have faith that it will change? I absolutely, like, it's totally out of the bag right now. Everybody knows about pot. But prisons are on the money standard. And they are not going to give up sending people to prison where they're like nonviolent people that they can take care of so easily. Like most potheads don't cause any trouble in prison at all, ever. They have the perfect record. So they're easier to lock up. And money is what the bottom line is here for prison. It's just money, 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 money on commissary, money on here money for a phone call. You can't call your kids unless you have money. And they're making tons of money on the phones. So it's like, it keeps going around and around and around. I can't see it changing. Well, you know, I got to say, well, you are a bright spot. And to me, you are a cannabis superhero. I really admire oh. you. I look up to you. I've got, I'm, I'm very affected uh, by how you're dedicating your life. And uh, you've inspired me to, uh, to get involved. I'm going to have to do something because I feel that I'm one of the lucky people who's been able to carry my life on since I was, you know, since uh, 1982. Two uh, was uh, around then. I was 15. Was the first time that I I smoked a yellow joint in my backyard with a with a classmate, and uh, there was no turning back from then. And I knew that that I was doing nothing wrong because of how great I felt and um, not out of control, but just in balance and at, at peace and where I felt my mind could function better. Um, and I thank you so much for what you're doing. You have so much heart and uh, dedication, and I hope people do join in and call your phone number, visit your website, and help contribute so that you can continue doing this amazing work you're doing. 
Thank you. And if you go on my website, freedomgrow.org, you'll see my little commercial. And the commercial, I have to thank Viceland for doing it. it I saw it. It's great. Every day we get a donation. Every day we get a donation from the commercial. People say, oh, we saw the commercial. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so great. And one other thing that really positive happened to me, my kid's dad, who I haven't talked to in 30 years, because he hurt my feelings, and my kid also hasn't talked to him, saw the commercial and called me, and now he's going to see my kid. Oh, wonderful. So that was a great thing that happened. Wonderful. 30 years later. That's incredible. There is no reason to think that uh, each day can't hold some beautiful blossoming thing in the wake of a dark topic where um, people like us are put in a hole, in a cage, in the name of who knows what. I'm afraid to know in the name of who knows what. Stephanie says says it's uh, about money, and I really believe you. But uh, we uh, really appreciate you, and you're doing beautiful work, and a lot of people just heard about it. It is a new reel. If for nothing else, for a channel or a show like Vice where it's digitally possible to speak to many, many people on a topic that's really goes against human rights. Hopefully this political tide will let us touch bottom a little bit and come back up and remember who we are. Ethics is crucial in the human experience. Thank you so much, Stephanie Landa, for joining us, and we would love to talk to you again in the near future. Thank you. Thank you. Call me anytime, and I really appreciate you guys spreading the word like this. Because people, like, it makes their heart feel better. And that's important so, to us, very important to us. Thank you. And thank, thank you. Thank you. So have the greatest day ever. You too, Stephanie. Thank you. You too, Stephanie. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much for joining us on The Cannabis Corner. If you're interested in advertising, just go to thecannabiscorner.net and write to us. And also know that we record from Disher Music and Sound in San Francisco. See you next time on The Cannabis Corner. Mm -hmm.